you're starting, everything is second to your business, right? When you're starting out, man, you're not sleeping. You, you better be working 50, 60 hours a week. In all my proposals, there's no times on there. I don't identify like how many hours is it gonna take. I don't talk about how many people is gonna go. I don't do any of that because you're again, getting away from value and you're getting into price. When I hire people, when I work with people, I expect them to be the expert. Hello and welcome to Hustle Over Everything Podcast. This is the podcast where we receive stories, tips, and tactics from entrepreneurs who have done it. Today, we're in the studio with Orlando J. Gomez. Orlando, for the people who don't know anything about you, could you give them a quick one-minute summation of who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm excited to be on here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, okay, the quick version is I'm a nerdy filmmaker guy who loves videos, who loves storytelling. I fell into film and visual storytelling in late elementary school, junior high, when I realized that I was not cut out for sports. And so I found my people, I found my place in, in the arts community, uh, in computers and in acting and in, in theater, and I've made a career out of it. So young kid couldn't fit into the sports guys can't be a jockey can't be anything like that no when when did you first pick up that uh camera and then you started getting to work yeah it's crazy because it, it's hard to pinpoint so mm -hmm. it's it's funny like i picked started picking up a camera my most earliest memories is probably like fifth sixth grade and, and it was like a class assignment where we had to do reading like we had to read a book and then do a presentation and i asked if i could just make a video instead of like i didn't want to go in front of in front of the class and talk to people you know and give a presentation it's like well, can i just make a video and like i'll film it and i'll do this whole like video presentation and the teacher was intrigued and she let me do it and that's kind of like where it kind of started but if you ask my mom it started when i was you know a toddler that i was mm -hmm. always you know acting around and, and, and singing and dancing and playing you know and, and just kind of this this character as as a child and, and even you go back and look at home movies home videos i mean that's that was me i was just always in character so mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's definitely one of those weird things of like nature nurture i guess and i just kind of happened to have both i ran with it and just ran with it eh? what was the first video that you created if you remember again that that's hard so i know that that class assignment was yeah the first one was what was i don't remember the book but we i remember the next year we did one we had to create like an ad campaign for actually we got to pick the topic but we ended up, made, we ended up making like <laughs> oddly enough a sports drink ad campaign mm. um, and i was like in fifth grade and i remember that distinctly and it was awful but you know we're in fifth grade so <laughs> i mean whatever like what um, it, it is what it is right it anything is that you is. make in the fifth yeah. grade is like deemed as creative like because you're yeah. grade five like it's Absolutely. the worst thing ever but it's looked as like a piece of like art but but the cool thing about it was i i wasn't in the video i kind of wrote it and then i directed it so i, I ran mm -hmm. the camera I, I directed the the other students and i think there was like a group of four or five of us and then they were the, the performers in it and i really enjoyed it and and i think where things really took off was more junior high early high school i go over to my cousin's house and and they had a, a home video camera and we would just make these dumb little short sketches i mean it's basically what you know became youtube content and, and you know now TikTok content but it was well before any of that existed i mean we were doing this on vhs tapes right and wow. and, and doing our our home editing using two decks and and, and two tapes and you hit record on one and you play it on the other and then you stop them both and then you 
you know, fast forward, rewind the, the tape that you actually recorded it on to the place you want to cut to, hit record on the other one, play it there, and, and like almost like our version of reel to reel editing. And this is like early high school, and this is like ninth grade, 10th grade. And then as technology evolved and my interest grew in it, I just, I just stuck with it. Damn, that's amazing. You know, it seems like that, that, you know, create the seed. I think that, you know, we always go back to, I, I relate to that a lot because when I was in high school in grade nine, I actually got suspended from school from creating videos. Really? You know? Yeah, this is it's hilarious because I had a PSP at the time. Okay. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but there's actually like a, there's an attachment, like a camera attachment. I could go uh-huh. on a PSP and that was like game over for young boys at the time. Like <laughs> a camera on a PSP is like, yeah. who knows what's going to happen? So we... We're in this dorm room now. I went to a boarding school, and me and my roommate started like fucking around and starting to create stupid ass videos, trying That's to the like best kind. the best kind, right? So mm-hmm. the the joke was that we got a basketball with the pump in it, right? Uh-huh. So we pretend that like he was just walking in on me pumping the basketball, looking like I'm jerking off, <laughs> and like that yeah. was like the. I'm sure we made our own version of that. I mean, that was the crux. Most definitely. Yeah, that was the crux of the video alone. But his smart ass goes uploads it to YouTube. This is when YouTube was brand new. Uh Uploads it to YouTube. All the views, man. All the views. And he tags it with the school name. Oh, no. With the dorm room name. Like, who exactly we are. Like, Kingsway College, dorm room 113. Like, it gives the entirety of it. And thinks it's not it's nothing to happen. You know what I'm saying? So, he gets suspended from school for creating videos. And it was it was the most embarrassing thing. It was like, you look like you're joking. Like, it was, it was bad. It was bad. But that seed, what was funny about that, though, was that that was an exception of us creating for no reason you know right. that was like mm-hmm. so, like a a seed you know a piece of clay that could have been molded mm-hmm. but they just like swat that shit down <laughs> they didn't even bother you know and what's funny is that later down the line there was a prankster who would have that as a youtube video where he mm-hmm. would walk around pumping a basketball and have people think he's jerking off and, oh no i'm just pumping a ball yeah, it turns around and, and reveals the ball yeah Mm-hmm. And it got, I don't know if y'all saw that, but it got like millions of views. And I'm like, God damn, like. Stole it from you. Yo, you, you guys were pioneers, man. That's right. Pioneers. Yo, and, and the other thing is they do with kids, man. And like kids with like artistic capabilities, they kind of get like demonized for them. Like, for example, oh, see yeah. a kid like doing like proper spray painting on a wall. Like maybe it's at school. Like, okay, clearly you can paint that. But instead of punishing the kid, be like, hey, you know, there's actually some art things we can actually help you with. If you want to like showcase some of this artistry and start vandalizing, like just be like, hey, you learned your lesson. Let's actually put this energy towards productive ends. Absolutely. Yeah, I think like, one thing that we miss as, as your society is figuring out the best ways to point creativity versus mm-hmm. just like smacking it down. You know, well, but I think a lot of times t- it's because we, we don't don't necessarily understand it the first time we see it, right? Especially if it's a new medium or if it's something that's just a little more unorthodox. It, art, I think, in its nature, can be disruptive and feel. Like, you know, it forces you to think, it forces you to kind of re-examine things, and it doesn't always fit nicely in the structure of society, right? And so mm-hmm. we kind of have, that's why I feel like a lot of people in the creative spaces always feel like they all have this sensation of feeling like they had to create their own way, you know, and they had to make make a path because it's not really clearly laid out. It's not like academics. It's not like athletics. Like, you pick one of those two career paths, and it's it's clearly defined for you. You start going down the art road, 
and it's a free-for-all you're on your own <laughs> yeah there's no manual man like there's no. no manual to creativity and that that's a beauty of it right like mm -hmm. because everybody's creativity is like so subjective like what i might find hot you might not find hot but like there's right. a collective of people who might not have thought that's hot not all of them think that it's fresh and exciting and then you create like a whole new path you trailblaze a whole new way of doing art like for example if we're talking about famous artists like imagine like basquiat like mm -hmm. if you saw like a basquiat painting you know that's a basquiat from like a mile away i'm mm -hmm. trying to think of like a different example but like people just define different lanes by just making it their own and it sounds like so weird to some people but the more they do it over and over and over it somehow grows to you like even some artists in music too different producers they have like different beats like if you hear like four beats in a song you know that's a pharrell beat right you know what i'm saying right so it just like takes its own thing but like i think the thing about creativity and also like creating videos you have to make it unique you have to make your own so people can appreciate it but if it's like tried and true like people are like okay that's cool i've seen it before but it's always like the people who venture beyond and like push the boundaries that they set a new precedence and then now you have all this creative space now you're called a creative because now it's acceptable to dare things into action yeah, innovate, innovate on take take what works and make it your own and and become something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. An artist I did that was XXS Tentacion. I don't know if y'all are fans of him at all, of but course. I've heard the name before. It sounds like yeah. a porn site, man. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Tentacion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, his one of his biggest hits was using a beat that was unengineered, you know, so mm -hmm. it would sound hella muffled. You couldn't actually listen to it in your car, right? But because he was trying to, from what he was saying, he was trying to like go outside the bounds of what normal beats would sound like, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was the one that broke his career, even though he was making music for like years before, you know, and I found that, I find that interesting things like that. And someone actually did like a, like a, a test of his music on the street and asked people what they think about it. And it's like, yo, his beat is, doesn't even sound engineered. It's not, it's not right. This isn't good music. I make music. This isn't good. And just, you know, moved it off to the, you know, to the, to the wayside. But in actuality, that was one of his most popular songs. But let me not get too off track, you know. Let's get into your story, you know, because you have an interesting story building up your production company. I would love to get the inception of that for you. Like, where did that, like, the rubber meet the road in terms of, you know, building traction with clientele and things of that nature? Yeah. So I actually started using the name Stellar Lens Productions, which is my production company. I started using that in high school. I think it was my junior year maybe my senior year um, i was doing a lot of videos at that point you know i was at that time in the early 2000s you know that was when skateboarding was making its resurgence and so i was out shooting skate videos for for local guys and, and making their sponsor videos and things like that I, I was doing every homework assignment i could do that i could convince them let me do a video i was doing that my friends and i started a club called the sasquatch club where we made these mockumentary sasquatch hunting videos and it, it started as a joke and it's an excuse to go and shoot videos and it ended up becoming the biggest club on campus to the point where mm -hmm. the principal referenced it in our graduation you know, speech or, or you know graduation it was, it was kind of crazy and so I, I realized really quickly that I needed to start branding the, what I'm doing that there needs to be a name associated with the content that was coming out and so I started using Stellar Lens Productions and uh, after I graduated I, you know I had this thought of okay well this is this is fun and, and we've had a good time but is can I actually make money 
on this. And so mm-hmm. it was it was a pretty quick and immediate transition. I went to junior college right after I graduated high school because in in my mind I I knew I knew I wanted to work in the video space. I wanted to work in film, I wanted to do content creation. But at the time that was not really a viable thing, at least to again going back to the you know general conventions of, of society, it wasn't really something that was taken seriously. And I was encouraged by my teachers, my counselors, my my parents. You know, I needed to go get a, a college degree and have a backup plan. Right? That's cool. Keep you know, you have this artistic thing, pursue that, but also pursue a, a proper job and and have that because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're going to need to make money and you're going to need to pay bills. And so in my mind, I went to junior college because I figured that that bought me two years, right? I could work towards getting my, my AA and I can try to see if I can make this film video thing work. And so that's what I did. And so I started doing uh, volunteering with nonprofits, you know, local churches, you know, any, anybody mm-hmm. who would let me do something and treat them as a client, even if I wasn't getting paid for it, but to get used to this idea of what does that process look like? How do I pitch myself? How do I convince someone to let me make something for them and then come up with a concept for a video that they would be happy with and then obviously execute and deliver and make them happy. And so that's what I did. And fortunately I did enough of that to where after I got my two years done, I didn't go to state. I didn't go to a four-year college, I stopped and I went full-time into filmmaking and video production. Mm-hmm. Were you making money at the time? I was making a little bit of money. I, I was making, you know, I would do like 500 bucks a gig, right? You know, like, and it, it's nothing, you know, I'd, I'd spend weeks making a video and I'll get paid 500 bucks. So I was working at the time when I first, when I first started doing that, my first job, real job, was at the movie theater, local movie theater, making minimum wage. But the perk there was I got to watch all my movies for free and as many as I wanted, as often as I wanted. And so like I was living there. I would I would work, clock out, walk into a theater, sit down and watch whatever was the latest movie and just absorbing cinema and absorbing, you know, storytelling and, and, and figuring out what I like and what I don't like and why it works and why it doesn't work, why it works for me and kind of like sussing all that out. And, you know, and then eventually I left that and had, cause I had to make, make a little bit more money than minimum wage at this point. So I went to go work at a grocery store and I was working full time there, 40 hours a week, my, sometimes more. And then I was still doing all my production stuff on the side. So there was a good chunk of time, a couple years where I was easily working 60, 70 hours a week between my actual job and then building my Jeez. my production company and as it turns out i still work 60 70 hours a week except it's all full-time on <laughs> in production on your own thing now yeah my yeah. own thing on, on what i want to do and, and what and the jobs i want to take and and mm-hmm. you know that's yeah that's the pathway you know it's crazy you mentioned that right because i read this in in a book by it's called the 50th law mm-hmm. with uh, 50 cent and and robert green right he wrote the book 48 laws of power like i mean it's that most It's a prolific book. Everybody knows about it. So he has like this idea of like Cornelius Vanderbilt, right? Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. built a huge fortune in shipping and logistics. And uh, when he was young, he asked his mom a hundred bucks. Well, he went to work for his dad's shipping company and it was like the most menial job ever. Like, I mean, you can think about like you're collecting fares, you're cleaning and you're sweeping and everything Mm -hmm. like that. And as he was doing this job, like he decided right then and there, you know what? I'm going to enter into shipping and logistics one day so his mindset flipped and he saw like this 
grudge work that I'm doing is actually a learning opportunity. I can learn on the job. So when I actually launch my own business, I can actually understand what I've been seeing from my dad and what I've been doing over the years and apply it. So it was more of an apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the book, he had this quote, like saying, you know what, never be a minion, always be an owner. And he has, has this concept of reclaiming dead time. Essentially, like when you're on any job and whatever it is, like look for opportunities to reclaim that time where you can use it as a form of apprenticeship and you're learning and you can actually apply it and use it as like a free school to learn wherever you are. And then when you're ready, you already have the skill set and everything. So you just did not lose four years of your life doing this job. It's actually an apprenticeship and you actually launch something on your own. Absolutely. I, I think I think the idea of apprenticeship is is a lost and unfortunately lost you know, thing that we, that we do. I, you know, I, it's funny. I, I try to take that approach with, with my kids. I have three three little ones. Mm -hmm. And like my eldest is, she's 13 now. She just turned 13. But even when she was, you know, eight, nine years old, like I would take her to set. Like I'd make her just like be exposed to it. Just see what this is. What you I don't need you to do this. You don't have you don't have to go into this field. But you know, having to get up early and, and be out there on your feet all day and, and moving gear around and just kinda get absorbed in that and, and see what it's like to work and see what what's out there. And now I mean obviously I don't I don't I don't force her to do that now, but every once in a while she'll ask me, like, hey, can I can I come out? Can I come out this set? I just you know, think it's fun. I'd like to go do that. And, and I think, man, I think there's something to be had by just uh, shadowing people and, and doing what they're and what they're doing. And a lot mm -hmm. of it is picked up by just being around and being exposed to it. One thousand percent. When it comes to shadowing, did you get to shadow somebody? So or? I didn't. It, it it was a really yeah. It, it was kind of an unfortunate thing where I really didn't have a whole lot of role models uh, local, you know, that I could really glean from. It really was mm -hmm. a, a trailblaze for, for myself. And, and really, and that, that's a whole other thing. Like part of even why I started my company, I tried getting jobs, working for agencies, working, you know, wherever. And, and I, no one hired me. And I wasn't going to let that be a, a, a deterrent and, you know, get stuck doing my backup job or, you know, the, you know, the backup plan. So I, I had to make my own way, which, you know, honestly, I think is great. It, you, there's nothing going to shape your character and your work ethic more than than being told no, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like at that yeah. point, like how much do you really want it? Are you are you going to do whatever it takes to make it happen, or are you going to roll over and die? And yeah, I wasn't going to roll over and die. Yeah, man, rejection is a uh, is a redirection, as they say. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like when you're doing when you coin the term stellar lens you know, mm -hmm. and everything, and you're trying to grow, you're pretty much a creative guy. Like you didn't really get into it because, you know, you have just the creative lens of making videos and yeah. producing and et cetera. Now flipping that into an actual business, walk us through that because you're going from a creative brain and now you're thinking mm -hmm. about like, okay, I am an owner now, I'm building a business. What are mm -hmm. some of those initial first moves you made to really establish Stellar Lens as Stellar Lens? Yeah, that process sucks. I, I did not like it. I still don't like it. I feel like I'm fortunate enough to be enough of an analytical brain that some that the, I feel I acclimated to the business side much more mm -hmm. quickly than probably yeah, it, it should have been. But yeah, man, it, it, there's there's this weird moment that that anybody in, in any creative art space will warn you about is it's when the passion shifts to work. That is an ugly feeling, but it's a necessary one. You, you really do have to get out of this mindset of, I do what I want whenever I want, you know, and, and I don't care what anybody thinks. And 
you know, if you want to be an, a true artist and mm. you just want to make art, great, do that, stick to that mindset. But you, you better have another source of income because there's no guarantee that that's going to pay off because at that point you're creating for yourself. But if you're trying to make a business and you're trying to make money and you're trying to hire employees and you're trying to scale, you, you do have to think like a business owner and you have to think about what do people want? What do people need? What are they willing to pay for? And how Absolutely. do I need to put that together so they're willing to pay for that? Right. And so a little bit of your creativity has to be shelved momentarily while you make that structure and, and you, you figure out how your business is going to operate. And, and I feel like it's, it's this weird, was that like, you got to take, take three steps back before you can, you know, lunge ahead kind of a thing. And so, you know, your creativity gets you in the door. It gets you into the industry you want to be in, but then you got to take a little bit of a, of a backseat in that learn how to learn how to manage your time, learn how to, how to put together a budget, learn how to talk to people, learn how to mm -hmm. communicate clearly, learn how to manage a team, learn how to meet deadlines. There's, there's all these, these things. Don't get me started on taxes. And if you're living in California, good luck. You know, there's all these things that you have to learn. You have to figure out because you don't have money to pay for that. If you're starting a business, mm -hmm. unless you come from a wealthy family or you have some angel investor, you, you got to do all this on your own. Right. And then once you get all that in place, you start to build a reputation, you start to build a clientele list and, and, and you, you do the work enough, then you start to claw back at that creativity. Then you can really start to lean into who do I want to be? What do I want to make? And then you get to be more selective, right? Like you kind of have mm -hmm. to, you kind of have to re-earn that initial artist space, I think. I'm not really sure how to articulate that. But I think, you know, when you start out, you, you do what you want, you make what you want. You know, you, you make a, a videos of you pumping up a, a basketball and making it look like you're jerking off. And then, you know, you realize you probably aren't going to sell any, <laughs> any business owners on making a video like that for their business. And you got to stop doing that. But then, you know, you, you kind of learn to, to weave that creativity and, and that, that humor and you kind of smooth out those edges and then people start to be accepting of that. And, and eventually you get to the point where, okay, now you can really start to push that envelope and come back to who you really are uh, as an artist. And at that point, you know, you kind of have pick the litter and, and you, you can people know what they're getting when they come to you and if, if it doesn't work and don't work for them they don't like it or they're not gonna let you do what you're gonna do they're not the hire you they can go somewhere else no that's a fact and that's the point that everyone strives to get to when they they can start saying you know what i'm good on that you know yeah i call that basically fu money right <laughs> absolutely there's two types you know i i am money and fu money. i am going yeah. to do that at yep. FU money, mm -hmm. you know, so let's talk about your I am phase, you know, because I think that's mm -hmm. where a lot of our entrepreneur audiences, you know, figuring out how to get out of that to the FU, right? When it comes to that I am phase, what were some of the mistakes you were making? You know, when I, were you not charging enough? Uh, or was it not running a team? Like, let's talk about those stages, because I think that's some of the biggest learnings that our entrepreneurship audience can take from. Absolutely. I, I think, and to be honest, that that's, I, I still waffle in those two, those two camps, you know, and when you're responsible for a business, for your employees, for your family and, and financially speaking, it's, it's really easy to get in the habit of you take anything and everything that comes your way. Right. And, and it doesn't matter if, you know, they're only willing to pay you a fraction of, of what it costs. You know, there's always someone willing to do the same thing for cheaper. Doesn't mean it's going to be better. Doesn't mean it's going to be worse, but it's, it's really about how quickly can you establish your value? and then hold on to that 
and be comfortable in living in that. Man, I, I can't tell you that like the first time I, I put out like a $25,000 proposal for a job, like I was so stressed out. Like there's no way these people are gonna pay me this kind of money. Like, I, I'm, I'm lucky if someone will pay me two grand to make a video. Like now I'm charging 10 times that, right? And, and then they say yes without mocking. Like they even think like, oh yeah, we'll pay that. And I'm going, well crap. Well then what, what was higher. the number? Yeah, what was the number they were expecting? <laughs> and like, oh my gosh, okay. I, I, I need to charge more next time. But I, I think in the beginning, you have to pay those dues though, right? It's, you need to build your portfolio. You need to, you need to build something that you can point to and say, this is, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. You can talk to, to these past clients, you know, here's their contact information, go ask them what their experience was like. Here's the work, you know, you tell me what you think about that. And so in the beginning, you do have to take whatever comes your way. And, and it's kind of all over the place, but the quicker you can really identify if you can identify your niche and i laugh because i'm terrible at that I, I i i love too many different things too many different types of videos to really niche down into one thing I, my thing is like is, is if it has a good story and you're willing to tell a good story and you're willing mm -hmm. to do what it takes to tell that story i'm in but uh yeah and, and you can and you can really nail that down like you said before and and have your style and you have your look then you then you just gotta start really trusting your value and i think that's when you can can ease into that space of this is who I am. This is what it costs. We're not for everybody. I want to get back to you putting out a 25K proposal because, you know, we are also launching our own agency. We've been, you know, sending out proposals to different customers. And I think the mindset when you're actually giving that proposal and it gets accepted with no hesitancy, if it's several thousand dollars and they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it just really hits you because you sort of get like this, I don't know. I wouldn't even say if it's imposter syndrome, but it's oh, like it's now a, you gotta it's deliver. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> it's imposter syndrome. Like like wow, you're about to pay me all this money to deliver yeah. this. How did you manage those emotions of getting that first big proposal and then having to deliver, knowing that I don't want to look like an imposter in front of these people? Yeah, hold on. Before you go, paint the picture for us. What was the big, the first big one, and how much was it for? Yeah. It's hard to say what, what that big one is because I feel like there's, there's been a number of them, right? So I feel like I, I lived in this like $1,200 space forever. Like that was like my first, like, okay, that's, that's decent money for someone starting out. I'm making 20 or 1200 bucks, you know, per video. I could get it done in, you know, a week and a half. That's, that's not, that's not bad. Right. I want to say one of my first ones was, was in the 20,000 range. And man, I wish I could pinpoint an exact one. I, I can tell you a more, more recent one. The first time sure. I, I made a, a $60,000 campaign offer and, and really it was something where it's like I started reframing how I was going to approach things, right? It wasn't just, yeah, I can make a video. It was more, what is your goal with this video? What are you trying to do? And then I came back and it's like, okay, well, it sounds like you don't actually want to do this. You really want to make a campaign here. This is this is a multi-video project. You know, this these are three different videos. And I think you want to talk because this client had had all these different topics that they wanted to talk about that they wanted to touch on for their business and it's like you can't shove all those into one video it's too much information it's, it's too convoluted you're going to end up saying nothing you're so focused on saying all these different things you're going to say nothing and you're going to get nothing so let's break it up into three different videos and let's you know we can shoot we can script it all out and we can shoot it all in two days and in two days we can make three videos and you know whatever and it was like 65 dollars and and it was funny because it was one of the first times that i was in very confident in what I was saying, even though I was telling the client no, 
I was saying, don't do that. I don't like your idea. And so like it was it was natural enough where I felt confident in that. But then when I had to come back and give them a number for it, I was not confident in the number because it's like, this is a big number for one person to pay me. And they went for it, right? And, and they just and, said and, yes with no hesitation. They said, they, said, they said yes with no, no hesitation. You know, I, I had a similar instance of that in December. So I actually went into, I was being brought in by a bigger agency to help one of their clients. And I was one of three businesses making a proposal on this project. And when the agency told me what the client wanted, I told him, I was like, I'll bid on it if you want, but that's a really bad idea. Like I feel bad even going in there and, and proposing because this is going to be a waste of money. They're going to pay this. I'll make it because they're already contracted with you. I know you, but they're not going to get an ROI from this. And so we went round and round and they're like, you got to get on board. You got to, you know, they're expecting, you know, rah, rah kind of stuff. The other two people already said it's a brilliant idea and they gave their, their, their pitch on how to do it. And I was like, I can't do that. I I'll be your third. So you've completed your, your obligation of, of having three proposals, but I can't say that this is a good idea. So I went into the meeting and I told them, I said, look, man, here's a deal. I don't think this is going to work. Here's the reasons. One, two, three, four, five. I think you're, you're, you're going to be wasting your money. I can't tell you how to spend your money. If you want to really want to do this and you really want to spend the money, you don't, or you don't care about the lack of ROI, I will make this video for you. I'll be happy to take your money. This is what it costs. But if it were me, this is what I would do instead. And guess who got the contract? I did. did. And mm -hmm. I didn't do what they wanted to do. They did you what did. I wanted to do. It's mm. crazy. And did you feel like you grew more confidence by actually taking charge of like a client's request and sing it back on them? Like, hey, listen, this is, we're going to do it. We can do it your way. We're going to do it my way. What confidence does that give you? Because you're taking someone else's business and totally just controlling it and they're paying for it. And they pretty much, okay, you can have yeah, input, but uh, nothing, nothing is more frustrating and difficult than working with a client who one has bad ideas and then two insists on doing those bad ideas and like, and doesn't listen to you. And it, it could just be my personality. I'm the kind of person when I hire someone for, for a job mechanic, you know, some, you know, my toilet's not working or whatever. If I'm hiring somebody to do something, I don't want you to ask me anything. I want you to do what needs to be done because you're the expert. That's why I'm paying you. So figure it out, do it. I don't, I don't ask me my input. If I had an input in it, I would do it myself. Mm -hmm. Clearly I don't have the ability to do it. So just, just go do it. So I kind of have that attitude and I expect that from my clients of you, you hired me to write you a script and produce you a video because you recognize I'm the expert here. So then when I tell you this is what we need to do and this is why we need to do it, I don't want you to fight me on that. I mean, there's some things where we can, where it doesn't matter and it's semantics or it's whatever. There, there's there's minor minor things and you pick and choose your battles. But I think I do have, that's, that's a big part of where I think my confidence comes from. But more than anything else, like I genuinely, and I can't, I, I've learned how to articulate this. I genuinely want my clients to succeed. I want them to make money. I want them to make a lot of money because I want them to come back and spend more money with me. And that's only going to happen if I mm. deliver something that is effective and works and is profitable. And I'll, I'll tell them, like, I can't in good conscience do this for you because I feel it's going to fail and you're gonna blame me when I know it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the fact that you're, you're doing something that is patently not gonna work and you're insisting on it and you're demanding that I give it to you anyways. So that's not on me, that's on you. But you're not gonna see that. Your pride's not gonna let you see that. You're gonna blame me for that and I'm gonna lose business going down the road. So I'd rather just not have the headache and not have my reputation ruined and I'd just rather not do it. So I think where things changed for me was when I can 
more politely articulate that. And then I, I think that the really that hinges, I can't tell you what to do with your money. I'll be happy to take it and give you what you want, but this is not going to work for you and you're not going to be happy with it and you're not going to get the, the ROI that you're expecting. So if you want to do that, go for it. And there's probably other people who are better equipped. You might want to get somebody who actually believes in that idea and actually wants to do that. You really, you shouldn't be probably not the best fit. You probably shouldn't be going with me. But if it were me, this is how I would do it. Yeah, and then, that's, yeah. then it's up to them. They can go their way and do the thing that they wanted to do. And man, I can't tell you how many companies still choose to do it their way. And I'm talking big brands. I'm talking names you know. And then, you know, six months later, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a fact. And one thing that's interesting about that is like in those moments, you kind of have to bet on yourself and see what happens a lot of times and as creators you have this you know this devil on your shoulder telling you hey if they say no you could be losing a lot of money you gotta pay for your kids meals (laughs) you gotta put food on the table Mm -hmm. you know so so sometimes it does get tough you know honestly absolutely Um, and and i think coming back to the whole like business sense it's it's one betting on yourself and being confident in what you do and, and, and trusting your instincts. But I think, again, that's where having that strong business sense comes into play, especially in, in the area of, of budgeting, right? You can be a little more risky and you can be a little bit more stubborn and choosy if you learn how to establish a, a livable budget that you not just on your business, but on your personal life as well. And like, it doesn't matter how much money I make this month. This is what I'm spending. This is my, my spend budget. And then, you know, here's a little bit extra for, you know, on a good month, I'll, I'll, you know, go on vacation, have a good time, whatever. But if you do that, those months that, and, and you pocket the money on those months that you make, and you make a ton of money, you can afford a couple months of refusing clients because it's not right and making less money because you have that saved up, right? I call it feast and famine. You know, some months I'll make fifty, sixty thousand dollars in a month. Some months I'll make five thousand dollars in a month, right? And so if I'm living can you imagine like one month like I'm living it up, making all this money, so I'm spending all this money and then two months later I only made five grand and like, oh, what do I do now? All right, kids, we're everyone in the top one again and like, you know, you what you you find that middle you find figure out what your average, what your live, where you're comfortable living, and you live at that. Even when you make all that money, you stock that money aside, and then you know when when that famine comes and and those jobs aren't coming through and they're not paying what they should be paying, you're fine. You don't have to stress about it, mm-hmm. and you can still turn people away and say, nope, not the right fit. Sorry. Yeah, Gosh. no, most definitely. You know, one thing you said that stuck out to me was you know this this video won't drive ROI for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so in your opinion, what makes ROI generating video. So what makes a video generate ROI? Yeah. Being clear, <laughs> making sure your call to action is very clear and what your offer is. But I truly believe more than anything else that you have to make an emotional connection. You can't just tell people what you do and you can't just tell people why they should hire you or, or why your product is the best. What I tell all my, all my clients is don't talk about how you have the best product, the best price, the best customer service. Nobody cares. People expect you to have those things. If you don't have a good product, you don't have a good competitive price, and you're not a good person to work with, you're not going to be in business long. So let's assume that's a given. So once we assume that's a given, let's not talk about that ever again. So what, what should we be talking about? We should be talking about your customer. You should be talking about their aspirations. What are they trying to accomplish? How can you help make their dreams a reality? Even if it's a small little component in that, right? So we need to make an, an emotional appeal, not a logical one. 
Right. We, we shouldn't be telling them how, you know, people like to talk about, you know, this is a fifth generation company. And, you know, and when my great grandfather started this company and nobody cares, nobody cares. There's a hole in my roof. It's leaking. I don't care how many generations your roofing company has been in your family. Can you fix my roof? Right. Yep. So mm-hmm. so if we if we create a video that is more dramatic and showing, you know, a leaky roof and, and how it's ruining, you know, a birthday party and, and whatever, then, you know, now it's like, OK, I can connect with that. I can I can understand that. I understand why I need, you know, obviously you can fix roofs because we see it in the video. But I also have this now this mental image and I have this emotional connection of why I should go with you. And it doesn't always have to be dramatic. I actually really prefer comedy. I love comedy and I'm not the greatest comedic writer. I have writers for that, (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, look at, look at a lot of today's big corporate advertising. A lot of it's humor. A lot of it's comedy because it, it sticks with you. You remember it, right? A, a good joke is a good joke and, and you'll retell it. And you'll, hey, did you see that commercial of, you know, whatever? You'll, you'll share it. Now you become the brand ambassador. That's, that's going to generate some ROI. And as you're growing your agency, talk about like managing clients because you start accumulating one client, then you get a second one, then a third one, then it's you, then you got to find a team member to hire walk us through that process because a lot of creatives start agencies whether it's videos whether it's uh advertising but the managing process when you're a small team can be very cumbersome it can get convoluted when you have to deal with deliverables how did you manage that whole process yeah that is definitely tricky and and to be honest it's something that that i still kind of struggle with in the sense that like i would love to to replicate myself i'd love to clone myself right and have someone who can do all the same things i do the way i do it but that's not reality and so at some point you got to let go and and you can either i was just saying you can you can either have total control or you can grow your business one of, one of the two but you can't have both so I, I again i think it comes back to what i was saying before where when i hire people when i work with people i expect them to be the expert so if you come to me and you say you're an editor and you can do xyz well then if i bring you in to do a job i expect you to do the job and you don't need my input and i don't need to be you know babying you and and looking over your shoulder make sure you're doing it right make sure you're staying on task that's the expectation now along with that i i try to make sure i pay accordingly because i expect you to be expert i'm going to pay you like an expert but man i'll get rid of you really quickly if you can't if i get to the point where i'm spending just as much time helping you do the job than if i would have just done it myself that's a problem and I'm not, I'm not working with you again, right? But as long as you can, you can execute and you can deliver, it's, it's, it's not a problem. And, and, and I love being in, in the place where I feel like I'm empowering people to do those things, right? I wish I had that starting out, right? That I could work under somebody who not only trusted me to do what I do, but encouraged me to like, just go for it. Stop asking questions, trust your gut, do your thing. Like, I wish I had that and I, and I didn't. So I, I it, so it's, it's, so it's, it's both sides, right? It's an expectation, but it's also an elevation, right? I, I, I expect you to do this thing, but I also want you to like, just go and do it and just do go it do well. the damn thing. Do, yeah. Just do it. And, yeah. and don't ask me so many questions. Like I get, I guess there's times when I need to, I need to give input, but for the most part, like, man, trust your gut. I hired you because I saw your work. You did a good job. You know, so-and-so referred you. Now just go do it and don't overthink it. Obviously that's a little different because with what we do is, is I work a lot with contractors, not a whole lot of people in the house. It's, it's mainly me in house. And then I have a bunch of contractors and a couple of writers, but yeah, I think trusting your team, trusting again, your, your instinct on who you bring in, be, be very 
cautious about who you who you give a shot to. Be willing to clean up the mess if you if you make a a wrong hire. <laughs> you know that means you got to go and in do and it you quick. Gotta, yeah, and do it quick. But yeah, as long as people perform, just let them do the yes. just let them do the job. Don't micromanage. And then you yeah. go do what you got to do. Go talk with the clients. Go make them happy. Go sell your next job and let the work be done in the background. And then just come in and do quality control. Most of my post process jobs, you know, we use Frame.io and, and the editors will upload there and. I'll get a link, a notification, I'll watch it at night, and I'll go through and I'll leave whatever little notes I have to, and usually within 48 hours, I, I gotta finish the project, and mm -hmm. off to the client, and everyone's happy. Yeah, you know, building that agency side of things and building your clientele, yeah. walk us through getting rid of a client. Like, how many times do you get with a client before you say, it's a wrap, I can't do this anymore, and what is like the proper steps to do that and maintain a relationship at the same time. You don't maintain a relationship. Unfortunately, that that's that's what it what it comes down to. My contracts are constantly evolving because I'm constantly having different experiences and I'm learning, okay, so here's where somebody exploited this or, or took advantage of a situation here and you know, we gotta update the contract so that doesn't happen mm -hmm. again. In the moment, you do the best you can. You try to appeal the reason. I'm always trying to appeal the reason. Like I have a client that I've had a, a project in post in limbo for a year, literally a year, but I can't terminate this project because one, they've paid for half of it. And two, they're technically, according to our contract, they're in this weird loophole stage where I can't, I can't just drop them. Right. And, but at the same time, I can't force them to do what they need to do so we can wrap this project up. So it's just, it's just been sitting there, sitting there in limbo. But what happens is if, and when this project ever finishes, we ain't doing this again. I'm sorry. I, I've, I've explained multiple times. This is what you asked for. Here are the emails. This is what you asked for. This is the script you approved. This is, these are the dates that we shot. This is all ticking all the boxes of our contract, what we agreed to. Here's the scope of work. We've done all of this. The fact that you showed it to some random person in your HR department and they gave you feedback that you think I, I should be implementing now, that's, that's not my fault. That's, you know, there's, there's two ways about this. You ignore that person or you pay for the extra time to go back and reshoot and change it to this weird thing that you want it to become, which obviously I don't really want to do, but you know, that's, that's, that's the position. So what ends up happening? I mean, and it's, it's an unfortunate, unfortunate thing, but it does happen. Not everyone's a great client. Not every business deserves your time and, and, and your, your, your dedication. The way I look at it is, oh, I should know what it's called. My wife works with like in childcare and, and she's, she's an early childhood education major. You know, that like, like, um, goo stuff that you that that like putty stuff that it's, you that in your hands like Gerber? i don't know it's it's this it's this substance where like it's like liquid and like if you if you don't move your hand it like runs through your fingers but as soon as you like start to like slime move it, it's 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 a type of slime it's a type of slime anyhow it's a type of slime where, where it's very fluid if you don't move your hand it'll run through your hands it's like water but as soon as you like start trying to move it it hardens up like like really really stiff clay uh. And so it's like this weird, like, you know, so you kind of like mold it, you, you kind of form it. And then as soon as you stop moving, it just like turns to liquid and wash and like kind of goes away and then you put it back. Anyhow, I feel like I'm that substance with my clients. The more mellow they are and the more easy they are to work with, the more I'm willing to do whatever to get this project done. I am, I am happy to go above and beyond. But as soon as you start clenching your fist and you start making life You're difficult restricted. for me, I don't want to do anything for you outside mm -hmm. of what my contract demands, right? Yeah. And so when you start running in, into customers, into clients who are who are like that, who are nightmare customers, the only thing you can do 
is execute your contract to the letter and then get out. Don't work with them again. Or you set new parameters and you make it very clear, if we do this again, you will not do X, Y, Z. It will go this way. But chances are you're so emotionally scarred and furious and, and they probably didn't have a good experience. It's better. Just and you don't want to come back again. Yeah, you don't want to come back again. Orlando, that's, that's like another crazy thing. It's like when you go into business, especially, and I'm learning to the hard way too, especially in agency, in the agency world, compared to building like a product-based business, let's say we're mm-hmm. selling iPhone cases and we got to deliver mm-hmm. and we're shipping now, you know, 400 cases a day to customers all over the world. We don't know these people, but they're buying this thing. But then mm-hmm. in the client world, sometimes you're escaping the working world like a nine to five, but also at the same time, it feels you're actually working a nine to five because there's all these tedious demands mm-hmm. that seep into your personal life at the same time. Like, okay, after work, they're hitting you up mm-hmm. at night. They're hitting you up Mm -hmm. and it's defining boundaries at the same time. And you're like, how am I even letting you in this part of my life right now? You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Uh, And then you start thinking about like, if this was like a product-based business, you know, we pay for advertising, we ship it out. The Mm -hmm. least thing I have to worry about is just like a customer service request, do a return and do a refund and whatever. But client work is a whole different beast, man. And like. This is all for the people listening too. You really have to calibrate your mind differently as an entrepreneur to what mm-hmm. you're doing. There's a lot of managing people, mm-hmm. a lot of emotional control. Mm-hmm. It's a you have to learn how to manage the business, the work, and the person at the same time, which is a whole different beast. But the thing is, the payout is different because if that case costs twenty dollars retail, I have to sell more to make maybe the five thousand, ten thousand a client is paying me. So I've recouped all of that, all those sales, and I'm doing it for one client. So it's it's a different stress. So you have to choose Absolutely. what kind of game you want to play. A hundred percent. I feel like product-based businesses is the easiest thing to sell. If you have a product, it's easy to sell. It's easy to market, it's easy to sell. But you're right, your profit margins generally aren't, they're small, so you have to sell quantity, right? It, it becomes a, a game of volume. When it's a service-based business, like an agency, like a creative service, then it becomes a matter of value, right? And I can, I can choose to have a hundred clients all paying me a thousand dollars, or I can have two clients who pay me $50,000 a piece. Either way, I'm getting a hundred thousand dollars if I do my math right. And that's hopefully I did it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like both ways work. Which model do you want? Now, obviously the client who's only going to pay you a thousand dollars, you're going to get very minimal effort. If you have a hundred clients to manage and you're only, they're only paying you a thousand dollars each, you're only going to give them yeah. so much time, so much energy. But if someone's going to pay you 50, that's a different story. And it takes a whole different level of dedication and, and, uh, and accessibility. And it just, it just scales from there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but that's up to you, you, you decide what that service package looks like and what you want it to be and what you're willing to do. Yeah. It's like, if you put a X and Y axis between the charging and the, mm-hmm. he- and the level of headache, I'm going to yep. get from this, you kind of realize that <laughs> the oh, less yeah. you charge <laughs> the headache meter is like all the way up to freaking Pluto. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the more you charge, like the headaches will lower because they're like, okay, we're paying you this much. We're going to trust you to get the job done. A hundred percent. And that was a very hard thing for me to, to mm-hmm. come to terms with. I always had this, this outlook that the less I charge, the easier the job should be because you should ask nothing of me because I'm doing this for so dirt cheap. You better You're doing leave them me a alone. favor. Yeah, I'm doing you a favor. Let me do what I do. Don't, don't even give me 
any feedback. Don't give me any notes, whatever. The reason those people tend to be a headache is because the reason they're not paying you a lot is because they don't value what you do. They think what you do is cheap. They think what you do is easy. And that's why I'm only paying you pennies for, for your work. And so they're going to treat you like you're worth pennies for your work. When you give somebody a big ticket uh, proposal for their job, they look at that and like, okay, this person means business. They know what they're doing. I like their work. I like the proposal. Yeah, here's the money. Make it happen. Those people tend to be the easiest clients to work with. They demand nothing. I mean, outside of maybe tight deadlines, but you know, they tend to be far more, not flexible, but just, just understanding they, they're easier to work with. They get you what you need when you need it because they know they spend a bunch of money. So yeah. they, they want to get this. Thing. They expect excellent yeah. work regardless. Yeah. That's the only thing they want. And they'll leave yeah. you to do whatever you got to do. No, make it happen. And you tell me what you need. And if you need something to make that happen, I'll get it to you and I'll get to you quickly. So again, that, that is so hard. And I'll, I'll be honest, like I struggle with it at times. It's just this idea of flipping that switch in your head from having a price for your work and having value for your work. And the sooner you can learn the difference between value and price, and then you can learn how to articulate that to your clients and explain your value to them, better off you're going to be. Elaborate on that. How you explain your value? As a matter of fact, let's let's play a game. You know, sure. I'm Mister. I'm Mister. Client. You're Mister. You know, service provider. Yeah. Okay. I'd like a video from you. Yeah. Awesome. So what are, are we, are we going to do like a, a role play? Hi. Okay. A role, role play. play yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Hi, my name is Alejandro and I run a Genesis car dealership and I'm yeah. looking for a banger video to run my Facebook ads and YouTube pre-roll ads. Absolutely. What That's you got awesome. for me? Why a video? I mean, just to start from there. Like why, why, why do you want to do a video? Why don't you just do like you know, just a text copy photo campaign. I mean, it'd be a lot cheaper just pull some stock photos and so some copy on an Instagram ad. The, the algorithms are, are really respecting video more than they are images right now. Awesome. So. Yeah. Okay. So you, you want to play the game with the algorithm. Good luck. No, but, uh, so, but seriously. So, okay. So it tells that that means you, what you're wanting to get in front of more people. You want more people to reach out to you. What's your, what's your goal with the video? What do you need it to do? Yes. We want to drive that's new people to our Genesis dealership. Okay. How many people do you normally get in, in a given month? How many, how many new calls, new leads do you get in a month? About 20 to 30. Okay. 20 to 30. That's cool. So how many do you want to be at in, in any given month? A hundred would be amazing. You want to get to a hundred. Okay. That's heavy. Okay. So you want to, you want to increase uh, 500%. So you, you want to go from 20 to, to hundred. 20 to what? 30. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. That's fine. So about how much do you get in an average sale? What's your general profit off of any, any customer? You know, a car costs about $40,000. Mm -hmm. You take home a 10% commission off of that. So you do the math. About four. So about 4,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you do about 4,000 in profit right now. Let's just, cause it makes my numbers easier. Let's just say you do 25. Okay. So you do, you do 25, you get 25 leads. How many of those leads are you converting? So from those 25. Uh, 25 leads, you probably convert about, let's say 10%. 10%. You know, 10% conversion, so, which is quite two good. And half, two and a half people. How does, how does that half work out? <laughs> you know, well, we can wrap up to three, I guess. Okay. We're up to yeah. three. Okay. Yeah. So you do, you do three sales off of 25 yeah. leads, $4,000 a pop. You're making $12,000 in profit from your current leads from current ads. And you want to go all the way up to a hundred. Okay. So my goodness, that's, 
Yeah. So you you want to you want to times that by five. So you wanting to be at about what is that sixty? Help me out here. Fourteen fourteen thousand times five. That's five six seven. Is that sixty? Sixty five six. I think it's seventy. Seventy seventy is right. Pull out calculator. <laughs> uh, oh, and you got quick maths. Yeah, seventy thousand. Okay, seventy thousand. All right. So you want right, to do 70. you want to do seventy thousand. Seventy thousand is the new target. You want to go up from fourteen to seventy thousand dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you say twenty percent of that seventy thousand would be a fair investment to increase your business from fourteen thousand to seventy thousand? Twenty percent of seventy thousand. Mm-hmm. Possibly. So that'd be possibly. fourteen thousand. So mm-hmm. basically, if you spent the fourteen thousand that you currently make every month to make seventy thousand. Would that be worth it for you? It would. If it converts, it would. If it converts. Yeah. And there are no guarantees here, but that's the idea that we're trying to get to. Okay. So if I said I can come up with a, a proposal, I have to go and talk to my team. We got to do some creative brainstorming to figure out what that product is going to look, what that, what that content is going to look like, what that ad is going to look like. But if I can come up with a solution for you, that's going to get you $70,000, you know, obviously, and that's the other thing too, this is going to take some time. This is going to happen overnight. We're going to need, you know, time to create it. We're going to need about two months to create this. We're going to need about three months of implementation. So you're looking at about six, five, six months from now, you're going to start to be in that in that range, making seventy thousand dollars. You are you willing to pay fourteen thousand dollars for that? It's quite a bit of money, but I, I think I might be able to stomach it. You know, now what if it doesn't convert? That's uh, that's the risk of investment. But I can tell you, um, there's a reason why I'm still in business after eighteen years. Why I still have people coming back to me, and I can't make you any guarantees. I can do my best to make sure that that we mitigate those uh, those issues. But I can't guarantee you that you'll hit those numbers, but I can guarantee you this. You're not going to get to $70,000 if you do nothing. Okay. That was like the knockout punch right there. Do nothing, you get nothing. Do Do something, A. Right. And so, and, and so here's, here's the deal. So, so the, the idea that we're trying to drive to here is that we're not talking creative, right? right? Mm-hmm. We're not talking yeah. about what this looks like or what we're going to shoot it on or where we're going to shoot it or, or any of that. We're talking business. Where do you want to be and what does success look like for you? Let's, let's identify what success is. Let's identify where you are now. Let's identify where you want to be. And then if I can find a solution that gets you there, what are you willing to pay for it? And here's the other thing. I, I, I kind of messed up a step there because I usually don't do this on, on the fly. Really what, what ends up happening the next logical step is okay so it's you're wanting to bump up from 14 to 70 that's per month right so if we look at this in terms of an annual contract which is usually what we do we don't we don't like doing these little one-off type things is if i can increase your revenue from 14 to seventy thousand dollars per month across 12 months that's six hundred and seventy two thousand dollars you're wanting to increase your revenue by over half a million dollars each year so if you're going to increase your revenue by half a million dollars every year, are you willing to pay 20% for that? So that 20%, those numbers still apply, right? You, you thought the 14 for 70 was, was fair. Now it's a much bigger number. 20% of that is $134,000. If I created a solution for you where we would work on not one video, but a whole campaign that's going to get you to your goal of increasing your revenue by $650,000 per year, are you willing to pay $140,000 to do that? Now... To counteract that, I'm going to say, is that the cost that you're calculating or is that just a percentage of the value? So no matter what I say, it's a percentage of the value that I am giving you. But that doesn't dictate the cost that you have. It's just based off the value that it gives me. I I have no idea what the cost is going to be because I have no idea what I'm going to make for you yet. I just need to know what ballpark am I playing in? 
So again, it's, it's taking a step back. And if, if you just want a video for a video's sake, I can throw a number out at you and either you pay for it or you don't. But from a business standpoint is why do you want that video? The reason you want that video is because you want to increase your revenue. You want to increase your revenue by 500%. So increase your revenue by 500%. That's the goal. It's not, I need to have a new video. It's, I need to have a 500% revenue increase, which is, which is a big number. The, the numbers we're playing with here, we're, we're really, it's not usually that big of a jump, but that is really what it's about for the business owner, right? It's mm. not about the video. It's about increasing revenue. So I am not here to make a video for you. I'm here to increase your revenue. And if I can figure out a way to increase your revenue by 5X, so, so you're going from 14 to 70,000 a month, are you willing to pay 20% for that? And I have no idea what it looks like. I don't know what I'm gonna do yet. I just need to know what the budget is that I'm working with so now I can go back and talk with my team and figure out this is, this is what we have to work with. What can we come up with to ensure that this client makes this goal? Because here's the deal, like I said before, I don't want you to fail. I want you to make that money. I want you to increase your revenue by $600,000 a year. You know why? Because next year, you're gonna wanna increase your revenue by a million dollars. And guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna ask for 20% and I'm gonna do it again. So the one thing I like about that, Orlando, is the way you actually unpacked the needs of the client yeah. and not just say, this is our service. We can definitely execute on that, but let's figure out what you want out of this. What is the purpose of this execution of this marketing plan and this video becoming a part of it? Mm -hmm. And I think for all agency owners, even for us, if you're whatever business you're in, when you actually unpack the desired number of what yeah. the client wants, you can actually reverse engineer that and actually, okay, if we can do this type of campaign, if we can do this type of video and it returns this, how could you justify not paying for that when it's actually something that's driving your business forward? You can sit on your hands and not do anything, but eventually to achieve the goals and the business dreams you have, you got to pay to play. And Same. I think every person who's selling a service, I think when you start with the numbers first and you reverse them back down, your service actually looks even worth more than just saying, hey, we do this, pay us for that. It just, it's a switching of the mindset. Absolutely. And that was, that was a game changer for me. And, and it's mm -hmm. something that I still kind of, kind of waffle on because it's really easy, especially if you like the client and you like, and you really want to do something with them. It's just like, oh yeah, let's make a video. And here's here. I got some, I got all these great ideas and you get kind of trapped in that creative. Like you let the creative mind go first. And then it's easy to like just, we just, we just do these one-off type things. But if you can, you know, focus on the business, this is a business, the creative will come later. We figure out what is your ultimate goal client? What is your ultimate goal? What are you actually trying to get to? You're not about trying to make a video to beat the algorithm. You're trying to make money. The reason you want to beat the algorithm and the reason you want to use video is because you want to increase your revenue. So now that we know the truth, we know we both identify that's where you want to be. You want to increase your revenue. What are you willing to pay to get there? And that's where you get to live in that value space, right? And, and a much simpler way to look at this, and this is something I've, I've talked with other, uh, I've actually had this conversation with clients before, but also with other filmmakers is the reason you can never do, in all my proposals, there's no times on there. I don't identify like how many hours is it going to take. I don't talk about how many people is going to go. I don't do any of that because you're again getting away from value and you're getting into price. The reason you don't do an hourly rate in a service-based industry is because one, you're, you're simplifying it down to, it, like there's just like this arbitrary cost for 
for the service. But the way I always phrase it is, so I've been doing this for almost 20 years now, okay? I view myself as an absolute expert in it. And let's just take video editing. So if, if we broke down video editing to, it's gonna take 20 hours to do this video and we try to put a dollar amount on that. And you say, I don't wanna pay more than you know $20 an hour for, for video, right? Because that's, that's what this other person said. Well, what ends up happening is because of my experience, it's not gonna take me 20 hours to do this. It's gonna take me seven. So if we break this down to an hourly rate, what? Because I'm the expert and I can do it much faster and I can do it better and we're not gonna need seven rounds of revision, I should get paid less because you want to pay an hourly rate. So it's almost like you're incentivizing that I suck and that I mess up. And then we have to do five, six, seven rounds of revision. And each time I'm going to bill you at two or three hours to make those revisions. And I'm going to charge you more because I'm getting more hours out of you. That don't make any sense. I want to be able to get this done right the first time. So I can move on to the next person. And I want to rely on my expertise to get quality work and get it done quickly. So there's no incentive for me to be quick and efficient and quality if you're going to make me bill by the hour. Does that make sense? Yeah. Most absolutely. definitely. Most definitely. Now, one thing that I find a bit of a challenge here is when it comes to pitching clients don't have a conversion metric like this. Like for instance, I'm pitching tunnel library. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not measuring like revenue in that sense. You know, there's other bodies that you can work with where they're not necessarily measuring the that delta you know right. how do you go about talking to those people like let's say I'm, I'm pitching like air canada like they're not even measuring that that they're not correlating that but they just still want a number you know talk to us about that there's still going to be a core metric even if it's not direct sales there's going to be a metric so you go back to to your library example maybe it's you know the amount of people who come through the library in a given month. I mean, it's it's not directly tied to revenue, but maybe it's, it's foot traffic. You know, if it's if it's an airline agency, it's 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 a little different. Like that's such a large scale that they just have a baked in annual budget for marketing and it's just about staying in front of people and it's name recognition. And that's that is a lot harder to do. At that point, you're in a very different game and now you you absolutely are trying to sell them on the creative process. So I think that's a little different. You know, you're creative like what what that ad looks like. That's what you're selling at that point. But in terms of like smaller businesses or, or just you know medium-sized businesses that they can't directly tie a video success or any marketing collateral success to recommend, they will have something. I did a commercial for a local car dealership many years back, and I had done work with them before and done a number of videos with them. But we, we did a campaign with them that was, they could not put their finger on it and say that this video is the reason our revenue skyrocketed, but they could tell that their foot traffic increased. They could tell that their sales increased, volume increased. Um, and they, they, there was no direct tie because people coming onto the, the, the lot, it's not like I saw that video, I came on. Like you, you couldn't necessarily make that happen, but you can look at the trends. Before this video went into, into play, this is how much we were making. After this video went into play, this is how much we were making. And what ended up happening is instead of only running it for six months, they ran it for four years. And those numbers stayed the same. They stayed at that at that new level. It didn't, so it wasn't like it was a fluke, like it was just coincidental, and that you know it was just a random spike in that particular month. So they have ways of tracking these things. Not every business is great about metrics. The more metrics you can get out of a business, the better, because it just it just helps you. It helps to to prove that you delivered what you said you're going to deliver, and it makes it that much easier to sell them the next time around. But you know, there's always something 
that a business is keeping track of that'll allow them to determine whether or not what they paid for was a success or not. Because again, it's not about the individual marketing collateral. It's not about the video. It's not about the ad. It's not about the photo. It's about this other thing. It's about revenue increase. It's about traction. It's about followers. It's about likes. Whatever that metric is for them that's making them say, I need a video. I need a radio ad. I need whatever it is. That thing is the catalyst to their goal. And it's their goal that you need to be focusing on. Yeah, no, I can't, couldn't agree more. Um, as we towards wrapping up, man, um, what was the biggest challenge that you've had growing your agency? I think it's, it's, there's two things. One, it's scalability. You can only take on so many clients at once and the jobs, they get big and they can, as, as they, as they grow and, you know, you start to take on less clients and, and charge more, but that work ends up becoming a lot more substantial. I, I think it's, there's this weird, like the point where you hit your capacity, but it's not quite enough to warrant hiring a new executive level person to, to take on, you know, the top tier uh, work that, that is always a challenge. You, and, and I think it's, it's always a game of you hit the ceiling and then you got to break through the ceiling and, you know, and, and then until you hit the next ceiling and then you, you repeat that process. And it's just kind of like this, s curve that's kind of moving upwards and upwards trajectory is you know you 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 hit a plateau and you kind of have to take a bit of a loss as you start to spend more hire more and then you rebuild and you go up higher and you kind of just just ride that wave i you know and and part of the thing for me personally because we are not like a a full marketing agency one of the things that's tricky for us is like we're just a video production company i i we will do all the the writing and help you build a campaign around your video but we're not going to do we're not going to do your website you know we're, we're not going to run your ads for you we can advise mm -hmm. you on how to do that we can connect you with people who do those things we have partners who do those very well we don't even do our own we have those partners doing those for us because we know our lane and so one thing that can be really tricky is 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 standing out when you are not an agency that offers everything why you know, how do you get somebody to come to you as opposed to going to that agency that has all that in-house? Well, you know, and to be perfectly honest, most of those people who have things in-house really don't actually have them in-house. They're just white labeling it out to somebody else and they're just, mm -hmm. you know, presenting as it was all them. Yeah. But yeah. I'm asking Orlando, like, yeah. when, when, when you do like that, when that's creeping in, like as a young agency, when a client comes and says, hey, you know, like, I know this is part of what you do, but I know this is on the spectrum. This is way, it's slightly way out from what you do. It's like the same service, but they want a little bit extra more and you got to find a way to service that. Mm -hmm. How do you manage, man, that's like good money, but it's really not our core offering. But right. it's like a little bit out of your core offering and you've got to find a way to offer that. Oh, great question. So I think it depends on what that stretch is. Like if, if it's just stretching your skill set a little bit and you're willing to, you know, to, to learn and to, and to do that, because it's, it's obviously going to mean you're going to spend more time on it because now, you know, you're kind of learning as you're doing it and you're probably going to have to do a lot of research and, and a lot of uh, potentially rounds of revision on it, then, then yeah, go for it. But if it's something that's like, like I said, somebody wants a video, but they also want a website for that video to go on. I'm not going to do that. I mean, I could, yeah. I've made plenty of websites in the past, but I'm not going to, it doesn't make sense. That's, that's not my expertise. That's not, that's, that would be a, a, a waste of my time in the sense that I could, that's time I could be spending doing other things that I'm good at. So what I would rather do is either refer you out to somebody that I trust who's going to do a good job on that, or I'll subcontract it out, but I'm not going to personally do that. And I'm not going to sign it to somebody on my team. And it's not enough that I'm going to hire, uh, you know, a web developer to, to be full-time my company for the, 
the off chance that somebody wants a website. You know what I mean? It really just depends. So, I mean, I've, I've had some requests that are within the video realm. That's not something I normally do, but it's close enough that, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind putting in a little extra time and adding that to my, uh, my tool belt in terms of video work that I can do. If it's a little more, you know, after effects, heavy, you know, motion graphics type stuff or, or a specific type of you know, camera work. I, I yeah, I think that stuff come, comes up all the time and it's just it's whether or not you're willing to do it or, or, or whether it makes more sense to your time and your expertise to send that elsewhere. Yeah, I, I heard a, there's a podcast I listen to called The Friend Zone and mm -hmm. uh, Fran on the, on the show says, you know, there's, there's a difference between pro our project being not for you and being different for you, mm. you know? Yeah, and, and and that really stuck with me. I was like, oh yeah, that's so true. Like this because it's not for you. I mean, this because it's different for you doesn't mean it's not for you. Absolutely. You know? yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that that resonates with, with some of the the listeners that, that are creatives working on different projects. You know. Um, yeah, and you know, and, and the, the, I think the natural kind of tendency is again, it's it's coming back to that. Well, it's money, right? And it's on the table. So. I, I need to just take anything and everything I can get. And and again, I'll be honest, I feel like I've been doing this time and again in, in, in this episode. Like, I, there's things I still struggle with. I'm a certified story brand guide. Long story short, it's a whole like marketing architecture type thing. And in one of the things that I that they really pushed when I first got in is like, here are some like really quick, easy things that you can do, you know, you know, doing brand scripting, doing, you know, website wireframes and this kind of consultancy type stuff. Here's all the baked in costs. And it's like, you know, you can easily make ten to $15,000 a month doing these things. And it's like, yeah, an extra $10,000 a month. Yeah, heck yeah, let's do that. And then after like six months, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, it's it's effectively free money and it's, 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 it's easy money, but this ain't who I am. This ain't what I do, and and why for for some extra extra cash? No, that's that's that don't make any sense. So what what do I do instead? I go to all those other people who are who are also story brand guides, who that is what they do and what they're great at, and I say, hey, you know, I'll send everybody to you, and you know, you give me give me kickback, give me like ten percent of whatever the deal is, and and I'll just be a, a lead generator for you, and that's what I do. And so I still get you know a little. It's not it's not a ton, but I'm still spending my time doing the thing that I love getting better at the things that I'm good at and, and living in my expertise. No, I love that. I love that. I think that's a big gem for our entrepreneurs, you know? And one thing we actually wanted to talk about, you know, and we are working towards wrapping up is the sacrifices, you know, because you have two kids, as you mentioned, there's two or three. Three. Yeah, three. Three kids. God mm -hmm. bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what are some of the challenges you've had to deal with, you know, balancing being an entrepreneur and a father? It's difficult in the sense that your work can consume you if you let it. Because it's something that we do, because we enjoy it, because we like it, because it's a passion, it can easily overwhelm everything else. I have always been incredibly intentional about making sure that my work does not come at the sacrifice of my family. I, I put things in perspective that I do what I do for my family, right? My wife, many years back, decided she didn't want to work anymore. She wanted to be, as our kids were, you know, we had our, our third kid. She's like, I want, I, I want to be mom. I want to be home. I want to be with them. I want to spend as much time with them. You know, it affords that opportunity. It affords them to take, you know, piano lessons and, and, and my, my son to take, you know, he was, we were doing like, karate for a little while, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. It, it keeps food on the table, roof over the head. It allows us to go to Disneyland once a year, allows us to go up to, we just got back from the mountains last week. We spent a week, we just decided, hey, you know what? I, we, we need a break. Let's go. We're going to go up to the mountains. It's snowing. We're going to get some snow in. We're going to be there for five days. My work allows for that. 
if I take advantage of it and I allow myself to be present for it. Because it's very, very easy to be in the office 10 hours a day. <laughs> you know, there's always work to be done. There's always new clients to pursue. It, it never ends. So you have to put those personal boundaries in place. And so it's, it's funny because I, I think most people talk about when they think of sacrifice, they think of sacrifice in the sense of like, you, you need to... You need to go without and you need, you need to sacrifice time with the family. You need to sacrifice, you know, all these other things, which is absolutely true. I, I am a huge, huge advocate for when you're starting, everything is second to your business, right? When you're starting out, man, you're not sleeping. You, you better be working 50, 60 hours a week. You better be grinding. You better not be buying a nice fancy car. You better be driving around in an old junker that's barely holding it together. You better be living on a tight top ramen budget. I mean, you do what you got to do to get your business off the ground. But once your business gets going, you need to reframe and remember what's important. And hey, I mean, that could be you. Maybe it is business and nothing else. And it's about making, you know, that next zero on your paycheck. Great. Go for that. And, and sacrifice what you have to for that. But for me, family is incredibly important. Like I said, I got, they got three kids. I love, I love them dearly and I want to be there. I want to be a part of all that. And me doing what I do affords me that opportunity. And so everything else is on the table. Family's not, at least for me. Amazing, man. Yeah. I love that. Wise words. You know, it's easy to consume them, but it's always, it's one thing to always uh, put them into practice because mm -hmm. This work stuff can snowball, One, especially when you're in the flow state. Mm -hmm. One hour goes, two hour goes, three hour goes, four or five. Oh, yeah. Before you realize, right, it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. And it oh, just yeah. comes at a cost of like what you love to do and also paying attention to the people around you that love you and give you that energy to keep going. Absolutely. And here's the deal. I mean, sometimes you, you have to do that. So one of the, one mm -hmm. of the kind of rules, I guess, that, that my wife and I did, I get better way to say is a deal that my wife and I has is when I, when I look at my schedule, nothing catches me off guard. I know what's coming up. I know what my workload is going to look like for the next, you know, two, three, four weeks out. If I see that, that we're going to be going into what I call a, a marathon sprint where I'm going to be sprinting hundred miles an hour, but it's going to happen for a very long time. Like I give her a heads up, Hey, mm. in three weeks, you are not going to see me for eight days. I'm going to be so involved in this. I'm going to be out of town for this. This is going to lead into that. I'm not going to be around. So what do we have to do now in the next two weeks? Like, do we need to go on a trip? Is there something I need to get done around the house? What do you need from me so I can prepare for that? And I can have that relational equity that when we get to that point where I'm gone and I'm going to be in it 100%, it doesn't ruin what we have at home. And I can come back and you don't feel like I abandoned you, and you're not resentful, and you don't hate my business, and we can go right back to what we were doing before. So that's 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 yeah. a little more of a like a, a marital tip, I, I guess, more than a business tip. <laughs> you know, Orlando, as you, as you said that, I felt that I, I'm not in a relationship at all, but the way you just put that together, I think for any man out there or if whatever kind of relationship you're in with someone, someone else, that's some great words to live by. Like the structure of informing them, understanding what's coming mm -hmm. up. So you manage expectations. Mm -hmm. That was beautifully put. Most Thank definitely. You. I think that it could end on that note. With that being said, the hustle is what you can control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. And I'm Owen Osinde. I'm Orlando J. Gomez. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were just going to do a send out for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm Orlando J. Gomez. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. Yeah. Guys, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Hope that there was some you know, worthwhile stuff in there. Thank I hope so, so as well. All right. See you in the next one. Peace. Peace out, everybody. Have a great week.